everybody, welcome to Same Team, an LGBTQ sports podcast. My name is Daniel Trainer. I am the host of this podcast. Thank you very much for listening. I am excited because today's episode is the first to premiere on the new Outsports Podcast Network, which I am thrilled to be a part of. It's a huge honor. Uh, you know, I've been an Outsports fan and admirer for such a long time, and I've been able to meet so many wonderful people over there and connect with so many people because of Outsports. So to kind of become part of the family like this is huge, and it means a lot. So thank you to everybody uh, at Outsports, Sid and Dawn and Jim and everybody for hooking this up. It's it, it's very exciting, and I, I can't wait to see how things are going to grow. If this is your first time listening uh, to Same Team, thank you very much. I hope you like what you hear. If you've listened before, thanks for making the leap to the new network. It means a lot to have you, and you know nothing's going to change. It's going to be the same show. We're going to be interviewing interesting, smart, talented, funny, inspiring people, and we're going to tell their stories, and I'm very excited about where things are going to go, and I'm pumped that my first episode on the network features Effie. So Effie is my guest today. Effie is a professional wrestler on the independent scene. If anybody has listened to this podcast before and knows me, you know that I am a huge pro wrestling fanatic. So with that being said, I had a lot to talk to Effie about. And as you'll hear, he is a very, uh, let's just say charismatic and and opinionated guy and one, uh, a, a guy that I respect a lot and you're going to hear him say a lot of things that might ruffle some feathers and certainly are going to get a lot of people uh to listen and and that's sort of his whole thing so i i do want to say you know if you aren't a pro wrestling fan that's okay don't stop don't don't pause this podcast don't delete because i think there's a lot here um you know the world of pro wrestling really exemplifies where we are in society in many ways and and certainly in the in the sports world certainly lgbtq sports world pro wrestling is really a microcosm of everything that's going on and i think you know when you hear effie talk about the struggles that he has had particularly being a pro wrestler in the south uh you know effie is a very effeminate sort of flamboyant in your face guy and you know does that sit well with everybody especially maybe a stereotypical pro wrestling fan in the south well no you'll hear effie say why um you know effie it really came into my world earlier this year. I had been a huge fan of his for some time, but in June, he gave a promo at this wrestling show in Chicago. So it, it was the show uh, that was all queer talent, all LGBTQ wrestling talent, and they gave Effie an open mic. And I'll, I'll let him tell the story later in this podcast, but just to preface, um, you know, it, it was a show that featured all this talent uh, that was getting showcased during Pride Month. And, and what a wonderful thing, right? But Effie's point was, you know, hey, you need to book these people when the calendar turns. You know, it, it was a card full of, of diverse people, and Effie is really fighting the fight on the wrestling scene to make sure that things are diverse and to make sure that things are moving forward. So I admire him for that very, very much. Uh, you'll hear at the start of this podcast, you know, what, what I Effie was a little bit late to the record, uh, because he said he had to go choose somebody out at Longhorn Steakhouse. So uh, that'll give you a little bit of a peek inside uh, of of who Effie is. And I make him sort of tell the story off the top. So just an explanation for, for what we're talking about there. 
Uh, listen, let's get into it. I, I, I'm thrilled about this conversation. I'm thrilled that you're listening. I'm thrilled to be on this new network. Thank you so much for listening. It means a lot. And let's just keep it going. I, I, I hope you enjoy and I hope you'll continue along for the ride. So let's get to it. This is the same team one-on-one interview with the wonderful Effie. I don't mean to blow up your spot, but I do want to hear about this uh, Longhorn Steakhouse story, and we don't have to put it in the podcast if you don't want to, but I'm very it's curious. It's dumb. It's dumb, and it makes me look like an asshole, but I kind of am, which is why <laughs> I am successful. Basically, I bought I bought my, my office staff lunch today, right? I just put it in online, and I sent one of my office people to get it, and the manager was like, you can't pick it up without the card and an ID. It has to be yours. There's too much fraud. And then he suggested that I send him a picture of my credit card and ID to his cell phone. And I was like, oh, so this is to prevent fraud? (laughs) And when I picked up the food, I said, "Uh, you guys having a pretty busy afternoon? And he said, no. And I said, good, because you're about to. (laughs) Listen, I I work – I work with a corporate company. I know how this shit goes. Yeah. I'm about to light his ass up. And whether they do anything about it or not, I don't really care. I just want to waste his time. <laughs> That's the beauty. I don't care if I get a gift card. I don't care if he's punished. I just want to waste his time Listen, he wasted mine. Yeah, it's, impo- it's important to let people know when they've screwed up, right? Yeah, exactly. You know? Hey, you know what? You have a policy. That's fine. Don't suggest that I send you pictures of my credit card he says well i was gonna delete it i said i don't i don't give a shit what you were gonna do with it you're dumb as fuck for suggesting i was going to delete it okay yeah that makes me feel a lot better and as you've probably figured out if if you need me to censor myself some please tell me because i am no sailor i don't know i don't want you to that's why i like you so much i'm excited to have you on the podcast so much because you are who you are so if anybody listening has a problem with that tune out baby please tune out i speak from the heart this isn't for you um (laughs) okay cool so i am well like i said i'm very excited to have you here and as a uh huge wrestling fan myself i uh, i'm excited to talk to you especially about sort of all the stuff that's been going on with you in in the past year and everything that you're going to be doing moving forward. So I want to get to all that, but if I could, I would love to ask you, uh, at least up top, uh, about sort of who you were growing up. So where did you grow up? I grew up all over the place. My dad actually managed a large retail store and would get moved around a lot. So I, I was born in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, And then I moved to Atlanta, Georgia, and then I moved to Jacksonville, North Carolina and lived on a Marine base. And then I moved to Greenville, South Carolina, and then I ended up going to college in Columbia, South Carolina. So I've been all throughout the southeast. Now I'm in Tallahassee, Florida. Um, And there's a lot of stuff in the south where you'd be like, why would you choose to live there as a homosexual man? And you go, (laughs) well, because the food's so fucking good that I can deal with the hate. (laughs) Wait, the I mean, no, I, I don't mean to offend you, but the I, I don't know that I've ever really heard somebody say that I choose to live in Florida for the food. Well, I mean, the South in general, really. Okay, more generally speaking. And where Tallahassee is, I mean, it's more Alabama, Georgia than Florida. You know, the capital sure. of Florida is Tallahassee because if you went to Orlando, the mouse would take over, you know? Mickey's got to watch. Sure. If you went to Miami, the Coke dealers would take over. If you went to Tampa, the strippers would take over. And if you go to Jacksonville, it smells bad. So Tallahassee <laughs> was the only option. Uh, when you put it that way, it's a no-brainer. 
Yeah, no brainer for sure. So what what was it like moving around so much growing up? Because I did I, I sort of lived that same life. My dad sort of had a job that moved me and my and my family around a little bit. Um, we sort of packed up and, and left every sort of maybe four years, which as a kid growing up I kind of hated, but now I'm sort of thankful for that experience because I think it made me pretty independent and able to adapt to a lot of different stuff. I can't really imagine living in the same place my entire life. What how did you think it impacted you? I think the adaptability definitely because you've got to learn that you're going to be the new kid. And especially when you're changing schools in elementary and middle and high school, you, you've got to be used to, OK, let me at least let these people know who I am. They've known each other since they were born practically. And now I've got to work my way into making friends here. You almost have to put on a little bit of a performance of yourself, yeah. which between being closeted, between moving around, between a lot of my interests being music and stage and that sort of performance thing. I, in a way, feel like I've been performing or acting in some sense, like my entire life. Yeah. You know? Yeah. For and sure. now where I'm able to just freely be myself, I can go back to those skills that I learned in a time where maybe it wasn't as fun and use them towards a better benefit of, you know, what I want my life to be and who I want to be. Yeah. So what were your interests growing up? I mean, you, you say you say music and, and acting and all that stuff. Was that sort of the kid you were? I mean, were sports involved at all? So my brother was such a sports head that I think it turned me off of it. You know, I played baseball for a season. I played soccer for a few seasons. But then, you know, once I got into music, I started playing viola in fifth grade. And I carried that through all the way through high school. Um, I played in rock bands. I played in Christian rock bands. I played in youth groups. Uh, I was very heavily involved in the church. Both of my grandparents were actually preachers. Wow. One Methodist, one Baptist. So both of my parents are preacher's kids, which means we were in church a lot. And there's a lot of things we could discuss about church that's bad. There's plenty that's terrible about church. We could go on for three hours. But the stuff about church that's good is it got me performance time. You have to behave a certain way. There is a sense of community to it. And beyond all the bad stuff, you know, you sort of get to see, hey, here's how you can live your life. Here's an outside version of it. You mm -hmm. get to make that choice now. And I didn't stay with church, obviously, for a lot of reasons. But I think it still gave me a foundation of, how a preacher performs, how a youth group performs, how, how an audience is supposed to react to things that you can't really get from other ways. I think church is important in looking at how I cut promos or looking at how I sell you know, a match. I look at how a preacher would do it, how they tell the story, how they take you on an emotional ride. They want everybody to have a little worry during the service, but then they want to leave the service feeling good, feeling brought up, ready for lunch, you know, yeah, ready yeah. to leave and ready to leave that check in the in the donation bin. So there's a lot of things about church that I could disagree with, but there's also a lot of things that I look at now as a performer and say, hey, there's some stuff here we can use. That's so interesting. I, I've never put those two things together, but when you say it like that, it makes so much sense. I mean, a preacher essentially is just like cutting promos every Sunday morning, right? Heavy promos. And then like the music stuff, like it gave me an opportunity for the first time when I was 14 or 15 to play with a band. And I played with bands after that, and I played with punk bands after that, and I've kind of seen every aspect of that music world. And in another way, I take that and put it into wrestling as well from the way I market myself, the way I make sure my you know image is out there. You've got to uphold a certain thing as an artist, not all the time, but all sort of led me to this little weirdling world where I forget to put everything into good use. Well, so how does wrestling come into play? Because, you know, were you watching wrestling at all as a kid? Was wrestling in your life at all? Absolutely. I mean, my dad was such a big like 
Crockett Promotions, old WCW Southern wrestling fan. Yeah. And he never played it up like it wasn't real. And then as I started to grow up and watch more of it, I mean, UPN being on my antenna station in my room and being able to have that little TV and just watch SmackDown, I wasn't really allowed to watch Raw. I had to go to bed at 10, but I could watch all of SmackDown. And taking that time and having it on basic cable and being able to watch that, I mean, that's when I really started to get into it. You know, when when that 2000s era SmackDown was real hot, you know, I was watching every week. And I remember, you know, you kind of watch wrestling and you know, here's your here's your A tier guys, your B tier guys. But when I was watching as a kid, nobody nobody was the main event. Everyone was the main event. So I was just as encapsulated by Jamie Noble matches as I was with, you know, the main event at the top with The Undertaker. Sure. You you kind of as a kid don't have the vision that anything is more important than anything else. You're just sort of looking and saying, this is entertaining the whole time. Now, when you're watching- And if they're putting it on TV, it must be important. If it's on my screen, it must be important for me to see, you know? As yeah. a kid, you don't have a way to kind of mix around that. Yeah, of course. But when you're when you're watching growing up as a kid and you're watching SmackDown, did it feel like a community that you could be a part of that would accept you? Because, you know, I grew up, you know, much the same way, watching wrestling obsessively as a kid. And and while I loved it and, and went to shows and watched it every week and had the shirts and the posters and stuff, there was always this feeling of, well, like, you know, that world, as much as I love it, is not for me. Um, speaking as like a closeted gay kid, um, yeah. I, I always thought like, wow, this is amazing. But if any of these people knew who I really was, they probably wouldn't like me. Did you sort of have that same experience? Yeah, but I think in a different way, because in in, in some ways, I think I knew I was gay and other ways I don't think I did. And the, I think the barrier for entry to me for wrestling was they must just make these guys in a factory. They're all jacked. They're all giant. <laughs> they're all cool. They're all glistening. You know, it's not something you could just go, oh, well, now I'm a wrestler and let me learn how to do it. That wasn't even something that you could put into your brain. So it was sort of like, you know, I had a teacher one time. They said, what's your dream job? And I said, a NASCAR driver. They said, no, like a real job. And so in my head, it was sort of like, well, that's not a real job. That's not a job you can actually go do. That's just those people were born into it. They've been bred for that since they were two years old. And some have. I mean, you look at your Randy Orton's and how well they adapted to being second, third generation. Sometimes that's true, but then you also start learning as you get bigger into the fandom and everybody has a little bit of a lapse period, I think. And I hit my lapse period, you know, middle of high school, I was doing a lot of other stuff. And when I got back into it really heavily in college, because we started torrenting indie stuff and torrenting old ring of honor shows and Mm -hmm. stealing all this wrestling. And I'll admit to it because it got me to watch it. And now I pay a lot of money for it. Um, (laughs) When you sort of see that there's this whole other world of absurdity and crazy and heavy that doesn't fit in this clean TV world, you're like, Oh, this is how they start. This Mm -hmm. is how they actually do it. And even from my earliest memories, I, I, when I was living on a, military base in North Carolina, I can remember going to an independent show, but not understanding it necessarily. Just thinking, well, maybe these are WWE guys they don't put on TV. And having a great time, having everyone, oh, I had a bucket hat at the time, so I had everybody sign the bucket hat. <laughs> of course. And thinking, man, these guys are larger than life, bigger superstars, and not realizing some of them probably lived down the road, and some of them probably had day jobs. Most right. of them probably had day jobs. Yeah. But just being able to equate that wrestler with, well, that's something off limits, and these are special people. And now, as you've watched, you know, through old PWGs and Ring of Honors and, and IWA Mid-South, you go, no, there's a stepping ladder to this, and you can do this if you put yourself fully to it. 
Yeah. I remember my sort of example of that is back in the day, and I don't even know if they do this anymore. I can't imagine they do with like the WWE network now, but back in the day when I was in like middle school, my dad and I would go to like WWE sort of sponsored sports bars who would show the pay-per-views and there were always like indie wrestlers there, like signing autographs and stuff. And that was the first time I realized like, Oh, like, you have to start somewhere. You you don't just show up, you know, on Raw and this, yeah. this is what you're doing. It that sort of gave me the first glimpse into oh, okay, so this is there's a whole system to this, and that's really when I started understanding how all of that worked. And it was really interesting to lay that groundwork so early. And I think probably speaks to why I've been a fan for so long because I've sort of had an appreciation for the process for such a long time. Um, yeah, I didn't understand the process. Yeah. This is good. Yeah. Um, so so when do you make the decision to get into it? You to go from being a fan, and I think so many fans say to themselves, probably myself included at some point, oh, I would love to do that. Like, oh, I, oh man, I want to be under those lights. I want to be in that ring, but never do it. How do you take that step to actually initiate uh, a career in wrestling? So I've told this story and I'm going to tell it briefly, but I think, I think I have a pretty strange origin story for wrestling. Um, I had graduated from USC. I had taken a big boy job down in Florida and I was a mess and I didn't even realize it, but you know, throughout college as I was discovering myself and figuring out who I was, I was addicted to a lot of substances and I'm, I'm a party starter. I'm a guy who has a little bit of charisma and it's, worked in my favor and it's worked against me. But in that college setting, it was like, Hey, he's here. Let's get the party going. He'll snort pills. He'll do ecstasy. He'll drink six pitchers of long Island iced tea. (laughs) He'll smoke weed. He'll do anything you want. And it was, it was sort of like, I was really good at doing these drugs. It wasn't like I was waking up every day and going, Oh, my life, you know, like, what does it become? It was, I could do it. I could do it again. I could do it days in a row. I could do it at the day. I could do it in the night. And once I got down to Florida and I had real big boy money and could spend more money on this and was an adult and had ultimate freedom, it got real bad to where, mm-hmm. you know, you're drinking all the time. You're drinking a half a bottle of scotch every night before you go to bed. You're smoking weed constantly. And it got to the point where I took uh, about eight hits of acid all at once by myself. I had a four day trip. Uh, I ended up in the hospital. I ended up sober after that. And I had kind of a vision in the middle of my LSD trip that none of this wrestling I'd been a fan of and none of this movies and none of the TV, none of it was real. It's all green screen. It's much easier to put everything together in there. You have people who are real in the world, but the entertainment we see, there's sort of a line break of we can make this stuff. It's not real. And I said, after I got through all of this, there's only one way to find out if John Cena is a real person. (laughs) Obviously, you can maybe shake his hand, but I don't know that he's traveling to Boston or Ottawa or Sacramento every week. All I know is that they put the name up on there. The arenas look exactly the same. He comes out. He does the moves. Why would you not program that? And so I said, well, let's find out. I have nothing to lose. I'm off the drugs. I'm off the booze. I called a school. Well, kind of a school. I called a man named White Trash Fred who trained me in a field. And he did it for 10 months. Of course, sure. And... Live Oak, Florida, 110 degrees. We sweated out out there, and I, I made it happen myself, and I started lying to get booked. I started sneaking onto shows. I started showing off what I could do, and uh, it went from there. Are you – so at this point, are you openly gay? Yeah. I mean, if, if I had to medically describe what I am, it's uh, everything. I like it all. I've dated women. I've dated yeah. men. I find myself attracted to – 
trans men or women. I find myself attracted to any kind of person. I find myself not attracted to a lot of people. It's funny to me when people talk about like, oh, I'm gay or I'm straight or I would never look at gay things. And I think about in the world, if you took a straight guy and lined up every woman in the world, the percentage of those women that he would actually have a romantic inclination towards is extremely, extremely small. So when we're stuck in this box of gay or straight, really what we're saying is I'm in a women preference of this preference of this hair type of this body type of this personality type. And it really starts to look at, hey, are we really attracted to women or are we attracted to a very small pool that women falls into? Um, and when I open that world up, I sort of think that it takes away the rules. If I open myself to be attracted to whoever I'm actually attracted to, am I going to be limited or am I going to find something that I actually like? Yeah. And by opening myself up, I've found myself in a lot of precarious situations. But with my current partner, he's a male. We've been together four years now. Uh, sometimes he loves the wrestling. Sometimes he doesn't. And do I find women attractive still? Yeah. Do I find men attractive still? Yeah. Do I find the 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 idea of being with him more attractive than all of that? Yes, that's my person. That's the one I want. Yeah, that's no. I I think that's great, and I think the way that you explained that is is very succinct and and super accurate. I mean, I do think that people get placed into these boxes, and it becomes sort of difficult to break out of. I I would assume probably especially in the world of of pro wrestling. So when you when you start out, how different was your persona your style from where you are now it was a little different and i would say i was still playing up the femininity of it i was still going by effie and i kind of knew my my dreams and goals were just to be a performer so in my thought i'm coming up with a character that's going to either get me heat or get me over in the south and obviously getting heat was easier and i could kind of lean in on these religious things and lean in on this gayness and make everybody uncomfortable really easily. But as the concept kind of changed and grew, and I noticed more queer people coming to the shows, more LGBT people coming up to me after shows, more shirts getting sold to people who were coming to these shows who normally wouldn't, mm -hmm. I kind of realized that like, hey, I can still be this shitty stereotype person, or I can open up and be myself and make myself a part of this character. And it'll be a lot easier for me to get over when I'm just being myself. And as I made that transition, you get sort of a baby face rush. People are attracted to authenticity. People are attracted to, um, you know, the commitment to what you're doing. And if you're honest and real, it's easier for people to connect with you. And so as, as I sort of gained my experience and opened myself up, I became the real version of myself beyond just being a gimmick. Yeah. I mean, that's the interesting thing, too, like you were just saying uh, about sort of the wrestling community and wrestling fans. And you can speak to this much better than I can. But just as somebody who is in it a little bit and goes to a lot of shows, goes to indie shows and has talked to uh, a lot of wrestlers, I, I do think that wrestling fans in general, it, for people who are not so knowledgeable, get blacklisted as as being kind of dumb uh, and, you know, poor and kind of, you know, probably very conservative and not very accepting you know when you're in the south uh then now i mean what are the crowds like and how have you seen them sort of maybe change since the course of your or over the course of your career and you know what, what would you say you know about sort of the diversity of wrestling crowds especially sort of on the indie scene now in, in 2019 it seems cliche to point to the internet, but the internet has done a lot of great things. But I, I use bringing up the internet to bring up this point. There are a lot of crowds still, especially in the South, 
you work a bigger city and you're going to get a more liberally based crowd, a more hardcore based crowd, a more open crowd to what's being put in front of them. In the South, they have an expectation of what wrestling is, and that's where a lot of that stereotype of the wrestling fan comes from. Yeah. And it's not exclusive to the South. You find it everywhere, Midwest, even out West Coast, depending on where you're at. And with the Internet, we have a way to connect with other wrestling fans. We have a way to connect with wrestlers who are very far away from us. We have a way to use our pull as people to help wrestlers that we like get more exposure, get more bookings, get more things. But one thing that the Internet has done that is negative is we have ignored some of the fan base that's actually paying tickets to come see us. Yeah, I might know all these guys from Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. I might have followed their careers for a while. But guys forget that the percentage of people in the audience that are hardcore about wrestling Twitter or wrestling Instagram is a really small percentage compared to the actual general population that's at the shows. Right. I can go to a show and have four people there who know me and 500 people be in the building. So I can't lean on the fact that I might be over on the internet or I might be known on the internet in front of a regular live wrestling crowd because these people don't know me. And now I get to be their first perception of myself and I get to go out there and show them and they might like it or they might not. And you still might run into crowds where you go, what Effie's a big deal. Why would he have to deal with this still? But you've still got somebody calling you a faggot in the middle of Georgia and they've never heard of you before or seen you. So they don't know that there are wrestling fans who are open now. They don't know that the business is changing and we're not homophobic anymore. They just know they paid to see wrestling and that's what they came to do and what they wanted to see. So it doesn't surprise me when you still kind of see these things, but I think it surprises people more if they're in the bubble of this online wrestling community because they're so used to not having to deal with that. that They don't think it exists anymore. And when you say things like, Hey, being gay, I did an interview last week. It got a bunch of traction. They said being, being gay cost me bookings. And they didn't really read the whole quote because it is true. Being gay does cost you bookings. But what I said after that was, but the bookings I took in place of it, because I'm very busy are much better because you're finding audiences that are more like you and closer to what you actually want you know, the world to be like, um, when you take those bookings, it's awesome. But then when those Southern people see what you are able to do, when they look past the sexuality, they're seeing more fans coming in. So when I say I lost bookings, yeah, I, I lost some bookings, but I gained better ones and I gained a better reputation by taking those better ones to where now the bookings that lost me are begging to get me back because yeah. they're seeing the financial viability of something that they thought their fans could never deal with. Well, and maybe it, some it, of them still can't, and I hope it haunts them. <laughs> oh, you and me both. But it, it's funny to get to a point where you're, where you are now, where, like you said, it, it's a blessing almost to realize, oh, you're you're not a person I want to work with, right? You're you're at a point now where people you are sort of established, and if people don't want to work with you for some reason, what a great thing to not have to do it, and to know that I'm going to take my business and my fans elsewhere, and to have cultivated this kind of fan because you have right i mean your online persona is is so large and the people who love you love you so much i mean is that something that you realized early on was that people online were looking for somebody like you because you're so active on there do such a great job of of interacting with people and people meeting you at your shows are so excited to do so when did you realize that oh wow the internet here can really be uh my friend I think one thing I realized, even beyond the internet being your friend, is that people who are paying to get into the show, paying money to watch your match, paying money to come watch wrestling, need to be treated with respect. And there's still sort of a mentality in the back of wrestling that, oh, those are the fucking marks out there. We'll give them what they deserve. We'll do what we want to do. 
you know, I don't have to do the stuff that they're expecting me to do. We can do whatever we want. And one thing my mom told me growing up was, hey, you really listen to people, not just to hear them, but but to really listen to people. And in a society where we're always putting our life out there via social media, we're always saying something so someone can hear it. Not a lot of us are listening. And one thing I've always made it a point to do was to not only treat the people who come to the shows with as much respect as I can, to thank them for coming to the show and spending their money, because getting off your couch and spending money, there's a hundred better things you could do that includes sitting on your couch and not spending money. <laughs> they've made that they've made that choice to leave the house and do something. That's a big deal right now. So treating them with that respect, but then also if they are talking to you, I'm still a person. You're still a person. If you paid twenty dollars to see me wrestle, we're still both people. I should be very thankful you did that. I should hear what you thought about the show. I should hear what you thought about the performance. I should hear all of it, and I should take it to heart because all of our opinions matter in this, and especially the opinion of the paying consumer because it's easy for a promotion to go, well, we know wrestling better than the fans, and what you see is their numbers dwindle when you don't give them an eventual payoff. Mm -hmm. In wrestling, you want to have a little heat on things. You want to keep storylines going, but you always have to have a payoff, and so we need to look at what the fans want, what the fans need, we can play with it a little bit. We can we can hold them in uh, in suspense for a while. We can hold things out for a little longer, but you can't spit in their face. You can't make them feel stupid, and you can't push them away and just say, "Well, you're just the fans." Well, without the fans, we have nothing. We have zero. So it's been wonderful to see people interact and beyond just, "Hey, I'm posting this and it got a lot of retweets." To be able to answer DMs and talk to people and have people say, "Hey, you made a positive impact on my life or my day or my week." That's really important, and we can't ignore those people. And it's really easy for guys these days to get a big head because they've gotten a few cool shows, and they think they don't owe anything back to the fans, when in reality, we owe everything to them. They showed up and paid for this. So I, I want to ask you a couple questions about the way you get booked, and this is going to lead into sort of the promo that you gave in Chicago in June, which I uh, have questions about. Are you still are, do, you, do you Do you still find that – Sometimes you are getting booked, and I don't want to. I don't want to say as a novelty act, but that's the only sort of phrase that I can think of. Do you find sometimes maybe at lesser promotions, people are booking you with the expectation that you're just sort of this kind of wacky guy? Are you? Have you sort of? Do you find that sometimes that people are just looking for? Oh, this is this is Effie. He's you know he's crazy. He's this effeminate wrestler. Do you find that you know at maybe lesser? Uh, less organizations that you're still getting sort of pigeonholed that way? In, in a way, yes. But I think it's it can be really positive. I look at this when I'm wrestling. It, it's really easy in wrestling to say, well, this is my dream. And that's the mentality of a lot of guys. Oh, it's my dream. I'm living my dream. And because of that, the way they wrestle sometimes reflects that it feels like they're, they're – their dream is if they don't get it all out of their system right now, and I hate being that old veteran guy who's like, don't do everything in your arsenal. But when a promoter comes to me and says, hey, we want you to have an eight-minute ha-ha match. Comedy, mm -hmm. do something silly. We know you can do it. Cool. I will do my role for the evening. I'm not offended that I'm not showing you everything I can do in my arsenal. I'm going to take my payday. The people are going to be entertained, and we're going to go home afterwards, and we're all going to be safe. But then you might want to book me in something that's a little more serious. And you might need me for a 20-minute match where we're really going head-to-head -head and we're fighting like athletes. And I can do that, too. So being able to fill the role of what a promoter needs for their show and not feel offended when they need you to do something that's a little uh, – maybe you feel like it's under yourself or something. Mm -hmm. And and I don't mean, hey, just let them tell you to do whatever they want to do. I famously have told a story where 
uh, a promoter asked me to fag it up and paid me extra to do it. And at that time in my career, I took that 40 bucks and I did it. So <laughs> what, here we are. What does is, what is fagging it up entail? Well, it, it entailed me wearing an Andy Warhol-esque rig and, wig and sure. some uh, plastic uh, jewelry sure, and dancing sure. about a little more than I normally would. But <laughs> I got 40 extra bucks. Listen, would I do it now? No. And luckily I have the reputation now to say no to things a little bit. But I do look at wrestlers and say, hey, if it's outside of your scope, look at it objectively before you throw it out the window or try to trash it. See if you're filling a role in the show that needs to be filled. And if you did that, then you successfully performed the job. So you do have these niche spots and these niche bookings, but especially if it's a smaller promotion bringing you in, you also have a little bit of authority to kind of lean them in the right way. They may come to you with an idea that sounds dumb, but we might be able to twist it a little bit and make it something really cool or make it something really different. Yeah. Well, what's interesting to me, too, is that it is such an interesting and exciting time for LGBTQ people in in wrestling, especially sort of on the indie scene. And I've had the opportunity to talk to to a lot of them. But what's interesting to me about you is that uh, and this isn't a knock against anybody else, but I think you probably present as a little bit more flamboyant and a little bit more open. And I think, you know, some of these openly gay wrestlers, I don't know that you would know that they were unless they told you or unless they had, you know, a rainbow thing around their wrist, which again, that's, that's not a knock against them. It's just sort of how things are. But do you, have you found that sort of being more open about your sexuality has, has hindered you at all? Maybe, but maybe it's hindered me in the right ways. So, and I, I talk about gay athletes a lot. And like you said, gay athletes come in every form, size, fashion. And especially in the LGBT community, there's so many people that it's easy to just go, oh, they're a gay wrestler and give them a gay gimmick and move on from it. And it's also easy to look at me and go, well, he's just hamming it up. He's a stereotype. Somebody got so mad the other day when I announced Effie's big gay brunch at the collective in April. They got so yes. mad. They said he's a cishet white male who's who's being a stereotype and who's uh, hamming up his gayness just to get these bookings. You know, meanwhile, they're not woke at all. This promotion isn't woke. And to that, I say this, I am myself. To me, the character of Effie is a, not only is it a little gay, but wrestling's a little gay. Uh, It's a little flamboyant, but wrestling's a little flamboyant. I'm a little too showy, but wrestling's a little showy. And I can get violent, but wrestling is violent. I want to be the caricature of what pro wrestling is in my head. I want to be that over the top. And for me, getting to express myself and put on some pantyhose and get wild and touch myself and be this sexual person that if you met me in person, you'd know I don't hold my tongue. I say crazy things. I talk too much. Uh, Somebody said I'm the most open-minded, closed-minded person they've ever met, (laughs) meaning I'm very open to new ideas, but I will be very quick to tell you if I don't agree with them. Um, And I think that's important is if I'm true to myself, then somebody saying that I'm being, you know, oh, he's he's acting it up or he's doing this or he's just a cis guy who's getting over. It's easy for me to go. I know the truth because I'm just being myself. If I was faking it or acting over the top, it's a lot more of a performance than I'm probably willing to put in because I'm a little lazy sometimes. (laughs) So these gay athletes, whether they choose to be open about it or not, I look at it and go, hey, I'm not risking anything. And that's what I said in that Rise promo, which is nobody upstairs is going to say it because they're happy to be booked. And I, and I hold nothing against them for that. I don't expect them to say it because I will say it for them. But every time in my career in wrestling, when I've been told it's over, when I beat up a little girl, they say your career's over. When I, when I talk too much shit about promoters who don't pay people to say your career's over, you're going to be blacklisted. You're playing too much politics. It's never happened. I've only gotten more money. I've only gotten more over. 
So what I said was, I don't have anything to lose. I don't have anyone here who's putting me at risk. I'm still going to be booked in a month whether I say this or not. So I may as well say it, which is it's nice to be booked on these pride shows. It's nice for every promotion to feel prideful. But if you don't keep booking them, I'm going to keep running my mouth. And I'm going to keep being a thorn in your side because I have nothing to lose. So when I'm standing there and saying you need to keep booking gay people, what I keep getting told still is, well, we can book a few of you. But if we book too many gay people, then it's a gay show. Mm-hmm. I'm not asking for gay people to get special rights or special bookings or we have to book them because they're gay. But I ask that when you look at your bookings, you give the same opportunities to the gay athletes, whether they present very gay or don't present gay at all. Give the opportunities to these athletes to prove that they can stand there. I mean, you look at someone like Jake Atlas. Jake Atlas is one of the top wrestlers in the world. You look at the way he works, the style he works, the way he can get over with anybody. That guy's incredible. Mm-hmm. Should he be booked just because he's gay? No. But should he be overlooked because he is gay, even though he has more talent than the straight guys getting booked? Absolutely not. Yeah. So, I mean, you're just for the listener. So you're talking about this promo that you gave in June uh, at the show that was sort of at the end of Pride Month. It was this LGBTQ sort of themed wrestling show. And you gave this promo that that really got a lot of attention, including from somebody like me who who considers himself uh, a pretty smart wrestling fan, somebody who promotes diversity in wrestling. But it really made me open my eyes in a way that had never been opened before, because there you were saying, I, I guess I should say, you know, I see a show like that and from from the outside i'm thinking wow how cool is this like this show didn't exist you know a couple of years ago look at the diversity now of course all of that is true right. that's all true that's taking nothing away from the show itself but as you watch that rise show too they were all very different athletes they were all very different matches they were all very different things happening it wasn't just everyone doing the same old tired gay spots it was real wrestling that happened to be gay. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, of course. And and, and your point in this promo was, hey, isn't this show great? But now that Pride Month is over, uh, you better not stop booking these people. And I hadn't, that that was something that I had to sit back and and say, oh, wow. Like I had never really considered that because so many of the people on that show, again, as somebody who is pretty knowledgeable about about this stuff, uh, had maybe never heard of. And then I was like, oh, well, that's why. The only reason I'm just hearing about them now is because it is this pride show and how cool that they're there. But, you know, as soon as the calendar switches to July, you know, who knows if uh, who knows when I see them again. So your, your promo really opened my eyes to to, you know, the fact that, you know, we can we can have these people in June. But as soon as we get to July, it better not change. And I, I really commend you for for stepping out there. And I think what you just said earlier, the fact that the more you've been outspoken, uh, the more successful you've become, I think should be a note to to everybody, not just in wrestling. I mean, everywhere, but uh, honestly, in the world of wrestling as well, if you're different, if you're diverse, you know, speak up about this stuff, because as you can see in your career, it's only helped. Yeah, and I would say that it's it's the idea of Stone Cold Steve Austin saying, keep running, keep running your mouth, Kevin, Kevin Steen or Kevin Owens. But people confuse running their mouth with, uh, I should talk more shit. What I think running your mouth is, is pointing out the problems that you have. You know, you have to be willing to take the risk to say, hey, uh, I'm going to open my mouth here because this doesn't sit right with me. And if you have a good explanation for it, you can give it to me, but you're going to give it in public. And in wrestling for so long, we've been told who's in charge, who's in charge, you're in charge, you're in charge. You better listen to these people or they'll get rid of you. And as I've grown in the industry, I've realized nobody's in charge. Everyone's trying to figure this shit out. Mm-hmm. Anyone who thinks they're in charge is not in charge. Going back to that Rise promo, I just want to say here, 
they didn't know what I was going to say. They thought I was going out there to cut a promo about how angry I was that I wasn't booked for the Pride show. And I took that mic, and I knew we were live, and I went for it. See, I want, I, I, know, I, want, I wanted to ask you about that. I mean, what? How, how long had you thought about doing that? When did you know you were going to do that? And when you dropped the mic, what is the reaction once you get backstage? Uh, I knew I was going to do it the moment they asked me to do it because I knew I wanted to go cause an issue um, <laughs> and at least raise my voice. And they said, oh, we'll give you a live mic and a run-in. And I said, great idea, guys. <laughs> so when I got backstage, they were like, what did you do? We didn't know you were saying all that. We didn't know you were doing that. And now I can kind of discuss this part, too, which I love Nyla Rose. She's one of my favorite people in the world. But I did in that promo say, did they even know when they hired you or did they stumble into something that was uh, worked out in their favor? And I had to apologize to her after because the world didn't know all that. But now that Cody has come forward and kind of admitted to it, um, sometimes that's how we get over is people don't know what they're doing. Yeah. People don't know that they're hiring a wonderful, skilled trans athlete. People don't know that they're giving Effie a live mic and he's going to do whatever he wants. But look at where we take these things when we are given this little bit of opportunity. So I wanted to uh, get that over, get it out into the world. They did not like it backstage. I caught some hell. But then the next day, once the promo was released, once people saw it, once people were talking about it, they were like, damn, you were right. And since then, Rise has booked many shows with many more LGBT athletes and said they will continue to do so. Other promotions have started booking more LGBT athletes. I think it's great. But give these people a shot. Give them a look. And if you don't, then there's going to be hell to pay. Isn't it funny? Just it, it just takes somebody to step up and say something, right? I mean, and, and thank God it was you <laughs> because, because yeah. you're able to do it in a way that is it's so impactful and so exciting. But you also just infuse that thing with so much energy and knowledge. It was like, oh, man. But like, that's the thing. Like a show like that is great. And I, I was maybe sort of like. I don't know, sort of aware that it was going on. But as a wrestling fan waking up the next morning, I'm seeing all this stuff everywhere. And it's like, oh, man, I mean, not only is the promo great, it's it's giving attention to everybody that was on that card and it's giving attention to the promotion as well. I mean, I have to imagine that, you know, despite maybe being angry, like you said, right after uh, in the interim, they're probably like, oh, well, all right, thanks. <laughs> well, and I showed them that it was viable to keep doing what they're doing. You got the attention. You got people's ear. You got people to show up to the show. There were people in Logan Square Auditorium that day that have never even gone to live wrestling. And once they found out it was a safe space for them, it was a safe space for all queer people. It was going to be a queer featured show with a ton of LGBT talent. You're bringing new eyes to wrestling that are outside of our bubble. And we need to go outside of our bubble. Right now, everybody's goal is, well, we're going to get signed and be on TV. What a dumb, stupid little goal. What a baby <laughs> goal. That's a day one goal. Our goal right now is not just to get on TV and ride the coattails of some promotion that has more clout than us. Our goal right now is to turn on the rest of the 95% of the world or 98% or 99% that doesn't watch wrestling, doesn't think it's for them, doesn't think there's anything in wrestling that they would enjoy. With professional wrestling, we are the last – you ready for this? This is going to be a mouthful. We are the last live improvisational theater in the round that you can see, <gasps> which sounds very specific, right? But you go see Cirque du Soleil, they've practiced it 600 times. You go see a show on Broadway, they've practiced it 600 times. I'm going to have a match tomorrow, and we might have a five-minute discussion before we go out there. And where do you find that anymore? Where do you find professionals who just met and are going to go put on a one-act play for you, featuring violence, featuring risking of death, 
featuring high-flying stunts in front of your face, within your eyesight, to be able to look at. It's the coolest thing in the world, and if we keep just catering to wrestling fans, we're going to kill it. But if we open other people's eyes to what it is, then they're going to come and enjoy it. And they might come the first time because they want to see Big Gay Effie be big and gay. I might be the gateway drug to get you in because it's something fun and your friends told you it was crazy. But man, you might get to that submission match and see some technical masters at work and it would have never gotten you in the door. And the guys in the ring might even think I have a dumb gimmick and I'll, he's a dumb comedy wrestler. But now I've brought in people who would have never come to the show at all because I intrigued them enough and showed them who I really was that now they're hooked. Because I really think once you come to live pro wrestling, you're hooked. Oh, it's sure. awesome. Oh, I, I think you I think you just summarized my love for wrestling better than anybody ever has uh, in my life. So thank you for that. It's 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 funny because and I've I've told this story on this podcast before a couple times maybe, but just generally speaking, I mean I've taken friends to wrestling before, like little indie shows here, like in LA, mm -hmm. and who who have never seen wrestling before. And I'm just like, just come, just trust me, just come. It's going to be a great time. And there I was like, all right, fine, whatever. And to watch their eyes during a, a show like that, when it's happening, you know, 10 feet in front of you is always such a fun experience. And it can happen on like grand scales and smaller scales. Like, you know, I've gone to little indie shows and Legion halls here in LA with friends who have never seen it before and loved it last week i went to i had the the pleasure of i went to the first smackdown on fox and i went with my dad and my dad and i used to watch wrestling growing up a lot and he's sort of tangentially aware of what's going on in in pro wrestling now but to get to go to something like that a spectacle like that where it's the rock and it's it's everybody yeah Even celebrities that, and lights and you're on fox it's, and it's the big oh time. it's crazy yeah. i mean just and, and the dichotomy of that just speaks to wrestling too i mean you can go watch People do it, guys, girls, in, in a little, tiny, little VW, and then you go to, you know, uh, uh, the Staples Center. There's there's nothing like it. It's just such a crazy thing. Um, so, Well, and here's what I get back to. Everybody's still about this idea of we got we to gotta plaster the town with posters, and I agree. But we're so stuck in the wrestling bubble as wrestlers that what are we using to advertise our shows? We're using pictures of indie wrestlers. And I'm sorry, guys, but none of us are that over. No random person walking down the street is going to see that and go, oh, man, look at that one-inch picture of this random little white guy with a beard. Uh, <laughs> we should pay money to go to this event. A wrestling fan might see that, but the likelihood they were already coming, pretty high. We have to focus right. on selling to the audience outside of the names because no one knows the names. I made a video that was like, please come watch wrestling. And I basically said, I don't care why you're coming. It might be cheap drink deals. It might be to just laugh at stuff for half an hour. It might be to just come make fun of people who are in the building who are crazy. There's crazy people at wrestling shows. I don't care why you're there. I just want you there because I know once you're in the building, I'm not just saying it to say, oh, give me 20 bucks and that's all I want. Once you're in the building and you really see what it is and the heart that goes into wrestling and the thought that goes into wrestling and the care that goes into wrestling, you're going to be entertained and you're going to want to come back. But we are not making the effort to get those new eyes in the building. We're not trying to do it right now. We're putting on dream matches where guys will come up to me and say, did you hear this match was announced? I was like, what match? And they'll tell me and I'll go, I don't know who any of these people are. And they're like, well, you was a huge legend in all Japan in the 90s. And I don't care. No one cares. <laughs> you care because you're a huge wrestling fan. There's nothing to be ashamed of in that. But do not act like these things that we're doing as wrestling fans to get our rocks off are creating a new audience for wrestling because they are absolutely not. 
we have to push towards getting people who are not wrestling fans into the room. I think about all the guys who get paid tons of money to come who are ex-WWE, who are ex-ROH, and I think about what they've done for ticket sales. Maybe they sold a few, but if a wrestling fan was there last month and he's there this month and the same wrestling fans are there that month, putting that guy on your show did nothing. If you can put someone on there that's going to draw some new eyes in and some new tickets in, let's do it. Honey Boo Boo. Honey Boo Boo did an indie show in Georgia that drew bigger numbers than any other indie show in Georgia. They sold 1,500 tickets with Honey Boo Boo. Oh, no. Okay? Did anybody think Honey Boo Boo was the best wrestler of the night? No, because Honey Boo Boo didn't wrestle. But she got those people in the door, and they stayed for the main event. And they watched all those wrestling matches. Yeah. Am I saying we should just give up and make everything a gimmick? No. But I'm saying that closing the door of wrestling because you want it to be a certain way is so dumb because you're pulling money out of your wallet, you're throwing it on the ground, and you're stomping all over it. There's dumb things that get people to come. Let's get them to come, and then they can see the cool things that are actually happening. Well, so what what excites you more now? If you are doing an all-queer show, do you get more excited about that, or do you love the opportunity to maybe go to a, for lack of a better term, sort of a more traditional kind of show with a traditional card and, and maybe sort of impress some people who don't know who you are? Which of those excites you more? I It's tough because I think they're both pretty exciting. They're exciting in different ways, and – I've told people I'm kind of an emotional wrestler. I don't really have a proper move set. I don't really have a proper finisher. I kind of wrestle how I'm feeling. And when I look at a wrestling match, I'm considering everything a part of the story. So are we going to use the ref or not as part of the story? Are we going to have a run-in or not as part of the story? Are we going to use rope breaks, submissions? Are we going to use the audience? Are we going to use the outside? Are we going to use weapons? All of it plays into the story. And so every different wrestling show, whether it's out in bumfuck Egypt or whether it's a really cool wrestling, queer, LGBT, cutting edge show, I look at all the facets and think about how I'm going to wrestle the match based on that. And that's why all wrestling matches excite me. They're all different. They're all new. They're all something where there's a little bit of a different story being told. So whether it's in these little weird places, whether it's in a big place, I'm excited by wrestling because you get to tell a new story every time based on where you are. Do you, you know, it sounds like your goal really is just growing and expanding the sport of professional wrestling. I mean, do you have your eyes set on, let's say, AEW, WWE? Where are your goals? Or do you even think about that stuff? Are you just sort of on a day to day basis? I mean, as somebody who's doing so much cool stuff on the indie scene, how big do your eyes get when you sort of see how quickly things are expanding in the world of pro wrestling? Well, you're, you're lucky to catch me at uh, what I'm calling a crisis point because right now here's where I'm at. I don't take direction very well, but I can take direction. I can, I can be the best direction taker you've ever heard. If it's good direction, I don't take bad direction right now. There's a lot going on wrestling. We're all looking at TV. I think TV is great. I don't think TV is the end all be all anymore. When I think about what I want for Effie, what I want for my career, I do just want to expand and grow wrestling. But I also want to expand and grow how we view success in wrestling. And if you can put my name on your show and put my picture out and it sells more tickets, that's a form of that success. If we can put on a show called A Big Gay Brunch and get a bunch of people in Tampa who weren't even coming in for WrestleMania to also buy tickets – because they're gay and they see something cool happening and they feel a part of that community, that's also a success. And we have to measure it with these little successes. I say that I'm in a crisis point right now because currently I run a business and I work 50 to 60 hours a week. 
And I also take a lot of wrestling booking. So tonight I'm going to leave at two in the morning to drive to Orlando to catch a flight to go to Philly to drive to Asbury Park to wrestle, to fly back to Wrestle Sunday in Orlando. And then Monday morning I'll be back at work at 7 a.m. It's a wild life, man. I'm experiencing all of it. And when you say, hey, are you going to sign here or sign there? Let's be clear right now. NXT guys, everyone getting signed is making 40K a year. They're -hmm. getting house shows in Florida. And they're getting told to keep doing your best and maybe one day you'll be on TV. There's 150 other people like them down there. They've got a whole army. AEW, they're doing well. They're paying their talent. They're on the road. But it's still an unknown. What's not unknown is the fact that, and I sound like an asshole for saying it, and I don't care. I made a fuck ton of money this year. I'll make a fuck ton of money again. But I'm also reaching a point where I'm exhausted. I'm physically exhausted to have to keep doing what I'm doing, working my job and wrestling. Am I making more money than ever in wrestling than I have? Yes. Did I sell a ton of merch this year and a ton of merch last year? Yeah, I did. Did I also still make more at my regular job? Yep. And when I hear, hey, AEW is paying, they're starting guys out at about 70K. Let me make it clear. I'm not taking $100,000 off what I make to say that I got signed to a TV company. I'm going to make money. I got bills and I want savings. I don't want to retire off of wrestling because my neck broke. I want to retire off wrestling because I get enough money. And until I can do that, I've got to stick with this job I've got because I like spending money. I like having money. I like having it in my life and not ever having to have a want or a worry or a need. But how do I get more wrestling money? I look at the crowds. I look at the paydays. I know what guys are making. The way we get more money is to get more people in the door. So it goes back to my point of if we're looking at a town that has 500,000 people in it and we drew 200 people into the VFW hall, what the fuck were we doing? We should have at least sold out a 2,000-seat arena. We don't know how to tell people about wrestling. And as we get better at it, those paydays will get better. And it will make it far more viable for me to continue making the kind of money I want to see myself making outright by myself without someone over my head telling me how I have to perform my art. Yeah, man, it's such a crazy thing. I mean, to hear you sort of lay it out like that, you know, the wrestling business is, you know, there, there's nothing quite like it. And I, I can't imagine sort of being in the place where you are, where, you know, these bright lights are, are, are pretty enticing, I'm sure, for, for most guys, especially somebody in your shoes. But, you know, the, the sacrifices that those entail for no real guarantee at all. I mean, what a scary, what a scary concept. I mean, I, I think what you're saying about growing the sport of wrestling is, is completely accurate. And I think that's it's really interesting. I think very admirable that's where that's where your focus is, because I, I've talked to people in, in the exact same shoes as you who have said, no, WWE is the the ultimate goal that's what i'm trying to do uh aw i would love to sign with aw i'd love to go there i would love to be in nxt and not that you're not saying that but i i think you you come at it with some rationality that i think maybe a lot of other people don't employ um but uh you know we also need but, you out, but we also understand need you that there. the rationality comes with a lot more hard work once you sign the contract and you can say you achieved your goals man what a great place to be in where i'm at there's no end to the goal it doesn't end for me. There's right. no point where I'm going to be satisfied, and I have to come to terms with that as a person. I could be making $10 million a year, and I'd be thinking, how can we make twenty? I understand that the way I'm motivated is outside of, of what normal success is. But I also understand that it gives me a certain responsibility to myself, and I feel like to wrestling, to do everything I can to make it better. And that's from a standpoint of 
making the shows better, making the fans better, making the draws better, making the paydays better. And we've, we've still got to deal with things in wrestling that from the top down, from your WWE developmentals down, being at the top, that are still not paying people correctly. They're still setting a precedent that what we do as wrestlers is not necessarily a paid professional skill, but it's something that is your dream. And so you just need to take what you can get. And we've got to keep fighting these battles. And if I've got to be the one at the center of the conflict, then so be it. But I'm not going to keep my mouth shut about this stuff until I feel like we're in a better place. And when we get to that better place, I may want more of a better place. So, yeah, success for me is hard to define because I can't stop going for something more. Once I hit something, I've got to hit something else. But another thing, too, and I don't mean to put you on the hot spot here at all, but, you know, I I think about all the things you've been able to do in terms of progress uh, and acceptance in the world of pro wrestling. Does Effie even have a chance in his sort of natural and current uh, state to exist in WWE. I mean, do you, do you think about that? Can can the wrestler you are right now exist someplace like WWE, or would it be just watered down and sort of a sadder version of all the stuff you're doing right now? Uh, in a sense, no, it could not. But I've said before, I think the FE character to me is here to push buttons, and he will be done. The idea is to get rid of Effie once all the buttons have been pushed. But I don't think we're going to reach that point anytime soon. I want to be the thorn in the side. I want to be the guy who has nothing to lose and can say the crazy stuff. In a WWE environment, could Effie survive? Yeah, I'm a professional. I can make it work. But for me as a person, would I take that payday? No, I absolutely would not. And people say that's crazy. They say, watch what you say on the internet. Watch what you say. People are watching. People are going to see this. I hope they do see it because the things that are going on in that company, the way employees are treated, the way employees are held as independent contractors, the way we are keeping away healthcare from our employees, the way that these guys have to pay for their own rental fl- cars and flights when the company is showing bigger profits than they've ever shown. And then beyond that, the fact that they're continuing business with the Saudi Arabian government is so asinine to me. I could never, as a gay man, take that paycheck. I don't give a shit that they're doing something with GLAD. I don't give a shit that they gave a rainbow shirt to Finn Balor. Wow. What progress? Let's host a show a week after they killed a journalist, mutilated him. Let's host a show after we know that they have countless human rights violations, have murdered gay people, have murdered women, have held down people with any kind of diversity in their life. Let's continue trying to make the change. And I get it to say, hey, well, we're trying to make the changes over there. That's bullshit. The changes will be made when the changes are made. You're there to take a check. Look at what a chunk of profit that is for them. And now the fans are catching on too because there's no responsibility to the fans there's not the shareholders to show profit there's a responsibility to saudi arabia to show good shows that's all there is there's no responsibility to you as a fan and that's a sad place to be in when your business is supposed to be entertaining fans so no i wouldn't take that check Listen, man, I hear you. I applaud you for everything that you said. I mean, I, I, I think it fires me up, man. Well, it should. Well, it should. And it it fires me up, too. And it's a weird place to be as a as a WWE fan, as a wrestling fan. It's a company that I support. I give money to all the time um, and, and and love but also am, am, am certainly very well aware of a lot of the things that go on there. And it does put you in a quandary and it does make me feel uncomfortable a lot of the time about uh, whether or not I should even be watching in the first place or whether or not I should be supporting them in the first place. It's, it's, it's a tough place to be, but I do think that 
the diversity of pro wrestling right now is is very exciting, and uh, there are just so many other places to look if people want to. And I think that that's yeah. And a I, I do thing. want to clarify a little bit for for the hate I'm giving to the WWE office, for the hate I'm giving to management, and for the business dealings, I show no hate to anybody who chooses to sign a contract with them. This is a tough fucking business. Making money in this business is damn near impossible nowadays. But if you get that opportunity and you take that check. I am happy for you as a performer that you are able to use your art to provide for yourself. I never hold any of these employees, you know, to their actions. Here's the thing. They got a good deal and they took the deal. That's awesome. They're going to perform to thousands of people. That's awesome. Maybe they'll be the internal change one day that moves things around. That's awesome. I look at Sonya Deville and I think how crazy has her arc been to where now they're acknowledging it. They're putting her on Total Divas as an open lesbian. That is a little bit of progress. And mm-hmm. I achieve, I, I mean, I applaud her achievement in that because it probably wasn't a, a day one thing. This was probably something she had to fight with for a while to get done. But now she's going to be on the show where she is able to show who she really is. So there are people in there who are making a difference and trying to make those changes. And it doesn't happen all at once. But I will never hold it against anyone for taking that check. Yeah, no, for sure. I I, I hear, yeah, I hear that, and I I love Sonya, and I'm I'm very happy for her and all the stuff that she's doing because her heart is, is very much in the right place and just doing more and more by the day. It seems like, and uh, yeah, absolutely, a, a big fan of her. So to wrap this up, I I, I want to ask uh I want to ask about Big Gay Brunch uh for two reasons. One, I want to know more about it. I'm very excited, and two, I do think I will be in Tampa for Mania weekend next year, and I want to know what I have to look forward to because I'm coming. Yes. So here's the details I can give out right now. We will feature a lot of queer talent. We will also feature some straight allies. It's very hard to run a show that's wrestling with only gay people. We're going to put as many gay people on that show as we can. We're also going to have some straight people. But in in a sense, I feel um, very excited because it's an opportunity to show people that we can have a wrestling show with good, serious wrestling in the midst of a lot of carnival crazy shit. And we're going to have the drag queens and we're going to have the wrestlers and we're going to have silly gimmick matches and we're going to have drinks flowing for people who drink and we're going to have food and we're going to have the best goddamn time. And we're not going to push anybody away who wants to come and we're not going to push anybody away uh, unless they show hateful behavior. We want this to be an open event where people who may not be familiar with wrestling can come still have a great time. People who may not be up on the storylines and the onlines can still come and have a great time. And, uh, you know. Maybe we'll just use the straight people as eye candy or in weird, (laughs) absurd straight matches, but probably not. Our goal here is to give people the best show possible, the most fun show possible. It's fun being around the GCW guys because their goal is never, well, we can't do this. We can't do this. The goal is, can we give something cooler to the fans? And Brett has been an open book to allowing us to come in and say, hey, here's a weird thing you've never done. Trust me on it. Let's do this. And he says, you know what? Let's go ahead. Let's do whatever you want. And that's awesome because we're opening wrestling to people who wouldn't be around it. And that's, I mean, as you heard, that's That's, the goal. That's the goal. I will listen. I I can't wait. I hope I have the opportunity to, uh, to be there. Uh, And, and, you know, I I was a fan of yours before this, but even more so now, and I I have to thank you so much for your time and, and more so than that, just everything you're doing out there because it is noticed by people like me and it's appreciated. And uh, I can only wait to see what you're going to do in the year to come because you, you have your, uh, you have your eyesight on the right stuff, I think. And it shows. So thank you for, for all the stuff that you're doing. Thank you. I'm glad you had me on here.
everybody. That is it. Thank you so much for listening. You know, I hope you love Effie as much as I do now. I, it's impossible not to, I think. He's so smart and so funny and so talented. I could have talked to him forever, and something tells me this won't be the last time that we chat. So thank you to Effie for his time. He's doing such important work, especially out there for pro wrestling fans like myself, making it a little bit more diverse and more welcoming and more progressive, and isn't that the whole goal? Thank you to him. Uh, Thank you for listening. This has been so much fun. I'm thrilled, like I said, to be on this network, and I can't wait to keep it rolling. I'll be here every other Wednesday. Same team will be released on the OutSports Network, and we're just going to continue to grow and do great stuff. So thanks to everybody at OutSports. Listen to all the other shows on the network. There's so much other great content happening. I'm just honored to be part of it. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, Daniel Trainer for Same Team, signing off. Bye.